Back after the big Anzac Day holiday for a fresh pet chat today. Dr. Kimberly Earl, ready to answer zillions of pet questions, yeah? Zillions, absolutely. <laughs> we, could, we've, we can squeeze that many into it. Well, just one zillion. And Cheryl Shaw, it's always a pleasure to see you as well. How are you, love? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. Now, we do brooch watches always. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first came in with that, I thought you've got your Olympic torch, you've got your chariots of fire, but it's, it's a bit of a, it's a, a um, shall we say, a plant holder. Yeah, let's call it botanical holder. All right. Yeah. And, and why today, Cheryl? Why today? We're going to be looking at a weed that's really common in our backyards that affects our dog's skin. All right, take it away. <laughs> okay. So we're going to be talking about a weed that a lot of you may find in your backyard. It's a really, really common pest. And it's not just found in your backyard. Sometimes you'll find it in parks, you'll find it in bushland. So when you're walking your dog, you need to be really mindful or at home, you need to be mindful that if your dog's going and rolling in any grass that you look what it is. Now, most grasses create problems for dogs. It's a contact allergen. But there's one in particular, the wandering dew, that is a real big issue. It's what happens with this um, plant, it's really, really an environmental pest and it can smother uh, the plants. It grows really um, very, very quickly. And at this time of the year, it's flowering and it has a little blue flower. Sometimes they can be white. But if you notice that you have this plant in your yard, you really need to be starting to dig it up and getting rid of every little tiny piece of it because it's such a rampant grower. Now, it's a plant that's very, um, the leaves are very cool and lush and dogs often, when it's summertime, like to lay in it just to cool down. But unfortunately, what happens with this um, particular weed is that it's got tiny little hairs on the leaves. They're almost um, impossible to see. But what happens, there's this allergen that's given off to the dog. Now, they don't really know what it is that causes the reaction, but unfortunately, it will happen to the dog that is laying on it. Sometimes you'll notice that the dog um, is itching after it's come out of the yard. It's been laying or rolling in this um, particular weed and then it'll start itching. Sometimes you'll notice that the dog is um, red and often they'll be quite red on the abdomen. Um, Kimberly, sometimes it starts off with little puscules. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, well, it, it, usually the redness is a big thing, but then the, the pustules usually come because you get a secondary bacterial folliculitis or bacterial infection on top, but that's often the first thing that the owners will know um, because sometimes the redness can be quite generalised. Yeah. So, and sometimes um, it's not just the abdomen that's affected. It can be feet. where the dog's walking mm. on it, in, on their yep. feet, in between their toes. Underneath, often their, time, underneath yeah, their neck and underneath collar. Underneath their neck, mm. yeah, and on their muzzle because some mm-hmm. dogs will rub their faces into yep. these lush green you know, sort of areas that make them feel cool that can often cause problems of redness around the eyes, even conjunctivitis. So if you're noticing anything that that your dog has any of these symptoms, it's really worth getting off to the vet just to make sure that, um, you know, that that they're being treated properly. But the removal of this weed from your backyard is really essential to prevent your dog from going through this um, unfortunate situation. Those allergens are so common and yet it's such an easy plant if you identify it to get rid of. Just means, you know, repeatedly digging up those little regrowths because otherwise it will grow. And don't try and spray it. Definitely it's going to be a physical removal, you know, but digging that up, removing it. And um, yeah, but just checking if you're dog is laying in any grassy areas and there's any redness any pus little those little pussy pimples off to the vet 
Yep, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting because we get wandering do dogs that are allergic to it, but it can really cause an irritation for just about any dog. And then the ones that have a proper allergy to it will they'll stay red and itchy for you know not often a number of weeks. Yes. So yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's one of those. It's pretty, but it's um, it's pretty nasty as well. Yeah. All right, thank you, ladies. Four nine two one six two one six is the number for pet chat today. Uh, Cheryl Shaw is here, minus the weed now, Cheryl. So yeah, again, got that rid of the weed. Got rid of it. And <laughs> Dr. Kimberly Earl is here as well. G'day, Gaynor at Hillsbury. Your four-year-old male mini poodle is a little bit jumpy. What's happening, Gaynor? Yeah, hi. He's over the past probably eight to twelve months. We've really noticed that at the slightest noise within the house, whether it be a a nail file moving on a table. He's just really jumpy and will jump off our laps and get really anxious sort of thing as looking as if to say, oh, my goodness, what was that noise? Mm -hmm. And just wondering what may be causing those sorts of things when he's he's very well loved. He's in a very safe environment. He's basically around people all the time. yeah. yeah, just curious. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it sounds like he has a bit of anxiety about it, and often it's because they can't identify where the sound comes from. And it may be that there was a particular incident that may have happened, you know, many, many months ago um, where a loud sound startled him from, um, you know, from sleep or from something he was doing, and he couldn't identify what that sound was. And he's become a bit hypersensitized now to sounds that he can't identify um, you know, that he can't see and things like that. Um, and so if it's a relatively new issue and and provided it's relatively minor, that he's not becoming frantic and things with it, what we would try to do would be to try to, um, in, a, in a gentle sort of mild way, we want to try to um, set him up a little bit for it. But when he's feeling really calm and relaxed and when we've got somebody there with some really yummy, exciting treats so that we can start to build a positive association between new sounds and food, okay? Because obviously something's happened at some point. It doesn't mean that anybody's abused him or neglected him or anything like that. It's just that probably something, you know, fairly frightening has happened um, in his mind. It it may not have been very, very big. You may not, you know, register at all what, what went on. But it can be something as simple as, Um, a door slams in the wind and the dog is sleeping and that was really you know startling for him Um, and now he's worried about you know something going on outside so um, you know I would I would find out what his um, his currency is you know what does he like that's a really super good yummy treat and then we want to try to um, set him up. You probably need a second person, so somebody who can be there to, um, you know, reward the dog for for happy, calm behavior, or at least, um, you know, focusing on the treats rather than on the sound. And you start mm-hmm. with a low noise, far far ish away. So you might start with the um, the dog in the kitchen and somebody making a, a bit of a noise in the bedroom. And you want to just make it here and there. You have to kind of. It, it takes a bit of time because you can't just make it repeatedly. You know, all of a sudden he'll he'll sort of go. Oh, okay. There's just a noise. There. And that's good, but you still need to have a little bit of um, surprise sort of to it. So it might be that you spend half an hour and over that half an hour, you make that sound happen, you know, um, four times or five times to start with. 
And then as he starts to relax into that and goes, oh, okay, the sound of that noise, he's going to start to look for you for when I hear the noise, there's some food here. Um, then you can start over time to make it a little bit noi a little bit noisier, a little bit closer, those sorts of things. But you really have to be very careful and, and really watching his body language because we don't want to overwhelm him. And at the moment that he starts to shut down and just like, not the food's not even interesting enough for me. I just want to get out of here. Um, yeah. You know, we've taken it a bit too far at that point. So if it becomes okay. worse, then um, I would say to engage a, um, a veterinary behaviourist and see if you can get some help for that. Okay. okay. And just one last question. He mm -hmm. continually, when he sees other animals on the TV, mm -hmm. he just is up at the TV, jumping <laughs> on his hind legs, barking yep. continuously and, until they're gone sort of thing. Is yeah. That so that's the sign of an intelligent no. dog, actually. They say that lots of dogs who are maybe in lower in intelligence won't be able to pick out a... Um, uh, they won't be able to identify another animal from a two-dimensional shape like on a television, things like that. Um, but it also, it's kind of like the postman sort of theory, right? He okay. jumps around and he barks and eventually the dog always goes away. It's like the postman who who drives up, the dogs bark and carry on and it's it's self-fulfilling. It's, it's positively re reinforcing because eventually the postman's going to keep going um, yes. and the dog's like, oh, oh, hey, I did it. I scared him off, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So again, we want to try to distract him away from that behavior you can use the same yummy treats, um, okay. distract him and redirect him away from that behavior um, so that when he sees a dog on the television, he's looking, go, Mom, hey, where's my treats? Where's my treats? Come on, where's yep. my treats? Um, because that's going to be a much healthier use of his energy. Either that okay. gainer or just stop watching that RSPCA rescue show that's on <laughs> yeah. the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very uh, annoying when you can't watch Dog House or something like that when <laughs> and he's continually barking. So yeah. No problem. yeah, if he's just watching, it's not such a problem. That My dog sits there and watches. She gets very excited when there's animals on the television. She just sits and, and stares. She makes her best golden retriever stand when she's watching the television, but she doesn't bark because that would be pretty annoying. G'day, Cheryl at Warbrook. What is happening with your dog named Opal? Oh, hi. Uh, yes, uh, she's actually got separation anxiety from myself and my daughter. We've actually had medication from uh, the vet although it just doesn't appear to be, and it's more of an ordeal trying to administer this medication for her on a nightly basis. Mm -hmm. So looking for more just alternate situations that we could possibly uh, try and assist her. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's, it's a tricky sort of situation. How long has she been on the medication for? Uh, since it was actually a quarter of a tablet, and it's been up to half a tablet. Uh, that she's been on it since uh, towards the end of last year. She's only a two-year-old dog, mm, not these crossbitsu. Yeah. yeah, I mean, ex separation anxiety is a tricky thing, right? Because it's uh, um, likely there's some biochemical imbalance that's you know uh, permitting her to be so anxious. But it's also um, a condition where we really need to to work with desensitization very carefully and and building up her confidence. Um, you know about the fact that she's not going to be left behind. Um, the best, the best thing I can I can suggest is with the medication is speak to your vet about alternative formulations of the medication. Like it might be that you could get it compounded into a flavored liquid that she might take a lot better. 
um, you know, often there are fairly small medications and you can hide them in a bit of food. But if the if the act of getting it into her is stressing everybody in the family out, you're going to be less likely to want to administer it. And depending on the medication that it is, um, sometimes it's really important that they're getting it regularly. You know, if she's not getting it, then it's not going to do the, the job that it needs to do. Um, is she under the care of a, um, a veterinary behaviorist or just a general practice vet? Uh, just a general practice bit. Yeah, so that would be the other thing that I would suggest is we do have some really good options um, in our local Newcastle Lower Hunter area for um, for veterinary behaviorists and I would go to your vet and ask for a referral to one of them because um, this is a complicated um situation and and I know that as if a client came to me and says my dog has extreme separation anxiety what can I do about it uh, surely I can prescribe there's a number of medications that I can prescribe but in terms of the actual behavioral modification program that really needs to follow along with that medication alone is not going to fix your dog um, and and they have to be managed pretty intensively and pretty um, carefully as well so um, you know I wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily um, doing that just just alone I would I would always recommend that you know that you go and see a veterinary behaviorist and they'll give you a comprehensive um, sort of recovery plan for little opal um, and she's only two so you know if, if she's a small breed dog you've you've got a decade or more of this um, you really want to try to get it sorted before she's been like this for you know six or eight years of her life so it's definitely worthwhile putting in the time and the and the effort at this stage um, to try to help her out but but no, just be aware you. that it's a slow process too. You know, it's going yes. to take many many months. Yeah. Yes, um, it actually uh, came a lot more frequent mm-hmm. since I've actually had two weeks holiday. I was away yes. from the household. And then that's actually increased Made it worse. Their anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, yeah, so I, like I'd say, I would talk to your vet about alternative formulations. You know, look at getting a compounded liquid, um, something like that, that maybe is not so um, yucky for her or, or not so um, daunting for her to take. And then also look for a, a referral to a veterinary behaviorist who might be able to help her out. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate your Good help. luck, so Cheryl. Cheryl Shaw is here, as is Dr. Kimberly Earl. And uh, before we get back to the calls, what do you reckon? I think we'll throw a, a dog of the week around for those who are looking to update their family a little bit. Absolutely. We've got a super cute one this week. you got to love Ranger. He is a uh, Blue Heeler pub, uh, around 12 weeks old, uh, loves people, which is fantastic. Uh, would be uh, would be good there. Has a little small stumpy tail, but doesn't stop him from <laughs> wagging it around. They say he's a bit of fun, loves adventure, loyal, uh, patience and excitement. Also pretty clever. He's learned to sit before his dinner is served because uh, manners are important and uh, is able to uh, sleep nicely there. So any thoughts on, um, firstly, the Blue Heeler as a breed of dogs and uh, some thoughts on Ranger? Uh, mighty intelligent dog. Very, yeah. very quick to learn, but um, they require a lot of um, exercise and mental stimulation because if you let an intelligent dog get bored in the backyard, you will see lots of problems. So um, they're very uh, trainable. Is that, why I get, is that why I get bored very easily? 
<laughs> I mean, they're, they're, it's due to my big brain. They can become destructive and they can certainly develop, um, you know, lots of, of annoying habits and, and bad bad manners, bad behaviors, things like that if they're not kept stimulated enough. So um, obviously you need to, to exercise them um, in a way that's suitable for their age. But as he gets older, he'll definitely need to have, uh, you know, a fairly vigorous exercise program um, and using things like um, puzzle feeders and, and feeding toys, not feeding them, you know, out of a bowl because that only takes five seconds out of your day when you've got a whole day to, to fill um, is really, really important. And they're very loyal dogs. Um, you just have to be prepared to have them, you know, there's a comment here that says, um, I won't be far from your ankles. Um, and they do tend to, you know, be a working dog. So they can tend to round up the children in the household and, and <laughs> you know, things like that. So... Um, yeah, but but they're a nice sized dog, and if you've got a bit of um, room in your yard and room in your life for you know some extra exercise, they'd be really good. All right, keep that in mind. Also, Ranger is uh, not to sex, so that's just a factor as well. Um, but yeah, I guess if you've got a bit of time to spend with the dog, maybe Ranger is uh, worth having a look at. Mm-hmm, definitely, yep. Kimberly, every day of the week there seems to be some special day, but for you and your cohorts, yes. your colleagues, yep. um, there's a bit of a, a celebration on the weekend. It is. On the 29th of April is World Veterinary Day, celebrating veterinarians and all things veterinary. Um, I think they have an inclusivity and diversity theme happening this year. Um, and just as an interesting bit of history, the, the veterinary the first veterinary school opened in Lyon, France in 1761. So it's sort of a bit of an oldish profession. Been around a bit. I'll, Been around a while. And yep. definitely quite a few changes in uh, that. Lots of changes. Yeah, lots of changes. Even in the time that I've been vetting, which is a few years now. Um, Just a couple, two or three. <laughs> a few years now. Do you know, I graduated in 2005, so, and I was doing veterinary-related stuff for seven years prior to that. All right. So, um, so best it's a part, long time. But best, there's huge changes have happened in our industry. So yeah. best part of 25 years. Mm-hmm. So I know you yeah. wanted to hear that number out loud. <clears throat> yeah. So what are some of the, the, the big ones that you can think of? Oh, I remember when we used to do this and now that's completely different. Yeah. So I think the big thing for me, and I I started out in a rural mixed practice sort of setting. I actually trained in, in Sydney and then I went back home to Canada and I went into a rural mixed practice setting. Um, and there was much more of a you just have a go sort of um you know thing there like I haven't done a c-section on a cow before that's okay I, I had <laughs> great right. support early on I had yeah. I had bosses who would come in and help you know do them while I was learning how to do it um you know it, it was it was and everybody has to learn you have to start somewhere um but you know it was often oh we've never heard of that before or we've you know somebody in the practice has read about that in a book let's give that a try um and in this day and age I think we're much less likely to do that. Um, we're much more likely to say, listen, this is above our level of expertise. Um, the, the general public has a um, impression that we're going to offer gold standard of care and we always would try to do that. But that means that we're often pushing things, you know, onto into a specialist realm that we've, you know, I think that the days of just having a go at every little thing just because you can is probably not appropriate. There will be cases where we say, listen, never done this before. You know, I've read it in a book. It shouldn't be too hard but we've never done it, I'm certainly happy to offer you a referral or we can try to do it in-house. And we can certainly do that. But, you know, these days I think we're expected to to refer things on that are beyond our level of, of experience. Well, mm. the, the flip side of that too is because now technology is, yeah. is so readily available and you can look stuff up so quickly. Yeah. We all can. That would also feed in weirdly feed into your point there. You can mm. study something super quick and go, you know what? 
this is something I need to refer. I need to kick this up the road absolutely. to somebody else. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And, and you know, the, the world as a general rule is a bit more of a litigious place. And so we're more likely to think about things in terms of if this doesn't go well, how is that going to impact me and this business and, you know, this pet and this owner and things like that? So um, there's plenty of things that we'll, we'll look at and go, yeah, not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Sorry, I'm going to have to send that to somebody who, who's who got the expertise to do it. Well, so, that's the last thing you want to do. I mean, you, the mm. idea is, well, we're going to help you with your pet, with your animal, and yep. then it turns into this whole other thing. Mm. Yep. And um, yep. let's be realistic. If it got really out of control, you end up broke. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the reality, though, is that um, the veterinary industry has come leaps and bounds you know the the things that we can do the things that um, we have available to us the the you know diagnostic capabilities that we have available to us compared to 20 years ago is amazing um, and there's lots of things that we can do we've got some fantastic new drugs and treatments and therapies for things that you know years ago we wouldn't be able to fix um, FIP is a disease of cats that's been killing cats for hundreds of years I'm sure it's a coronavirus if you can believe that um, and we can cure corona we can cure that disease in in lots of cats now not all of them but lots of them we can cure that um, so that's like you know there's, there's amazing things happening in this field so it's it's still a pretty impressive um, well pretty interesting and I don't know I love it still so yeah. on the flip side of that, is yep. there still a greater expectation that because mm. more and more, there have been more and more advancements, there is every mm-hmm. day, every week that, look, I'm, I'm bringing my animal in and I am I know that you'll be able to absolutely save it and get it back to good health, <laughs> um, which I know is the downside as well because that's yeah. not always the case. It's not always the case, absolutely. I think the other thing that we know is that, um, you know, all the diseases that humans can get, um, we, we see them in pets as well. And we see plenty of times where we can't save an animal due to a, a cancer or a, a debilitating injury or, you know, sometimes it's um, about the, the health and the welfare. Sometimes it's about the quality of life. You know, just because we can do something doesn't always mean we should do something. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those uh, careers that I guess gives you, brings you challenges every single day. Um, and it, you know, for that, it keeps keeps my brain ticking over. It can be pretty exhausting sometimes. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that, um, well, certainly not for somebody who likes to have just the same routine over and over and over again, because every day is a new day and it's got it's got its ups and it's got its downs and overall evens out to being pretty, pretty good overall. That's a, a very a final a final point to leave that on as well. Like you said, it's not what have we got on the list today? It's yeah. not going to be the same as yesterday. And even if it is, you know, oh, it's just another dog castrate or oh, it's just another it's just you know, another spay, oh, whatever. What do you think, Sherry? You know, I like that. We just threw that away. Those, just are the, those are the bread and butter things, though, yeah. That, yeah. that we do, right? Um, but it's, mm. you're dealing with living animals, living creatures, um, organisms, and that means that sometimes there's a blood vessel that's bigger than it it was expected to be or that shouldn't bleed or that tears or something happens. And so every, you know, every, oh, it's just can still end up in a, oh, hang on, wasn't expecting that. We're going to have to, you know, do something different here. So so what is the most um, uh, the most memorable thing that you've done in your time in, the, in or that you've seen rather maybe even in the 25 mm. years, Kimberly, you've been around the profession? Oh, there's lots and lots and lots of them. I um, I think for me, I delivered a little flying fox um, infant by C-section. The mother had, well, wasn't quite passed away, um, but had terrible, terrible injuries. And we had this like sort of late stage little flying fox um, fetus that we dis- delivered by C-section. The carer had um, a suitable 
you know, foster to put her on. Um, and unfortunately, the mother, you know, we didn't wake her up from that surgery. But mm-hmm. we got a live, live, cute little baby flying fox out. That was pretty remarkable. Cheryl, I know you hate snakes. How do you go with flying foxes? <laughs> Flying foxes, yes. Well, mm. I don't think I, I want to touch one. I know they're they're considered pests by lots of people, but they're a very remarkable Australian animal, and mm. and I think, um, you know, if you can get over the fact that they're noisy and smelly, um, they're pretty cute and amazing too. Yeah, yeah, pretty much a tough hill to get across yeah. that one. Well, that's it. We have run out of time. Anyway, happy happy uh, vet day for World the weekend. Day. Yes. Thank you so much. All right, Kimberly, Dr. Kimberly Earl, and of course Cheryl Shaw. Have a fantastic rest of the week. We'll catch you all next time around. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.